Good morning. This is Clark County Board of Equalization hearing for February 6th, 2023. County Clerk has informed us that the meeting has been posted and properly noticed. At this time, can we please call the roll? Terry Farr. Present. Tammy Campa. Here. Paul Chaffee. Here. Tio DeFederico. Present. Petra Latch. Here. Thank you. I motion to adopt the agenda. Please cast your votes. Motion passes. Before we start, microphone is open for any public comment. Seeing none, I will close the microphone. Uh, at this time, we need to swear in the petitioners. Anyone who intends to testify on behalf of the petitioners and members of the assessor's office, please stand and face the county clerk to be sworn in. Do you solemnly swear that the testimony you are about to give during the course of this hearing is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? Thank you. Now we have a statement from the district attorney's office on what the Board of Equalization is allowed and not allowed to do. The County Board of Equalization may determine the value of any property the county assessor assesses and may change and correct any valuation found to be incorrect to make it conform to the taxable value of the property. Any taxpayer who claims overvaluation of its real or secured personal property by reason of undervaluation or non-assessment of another taxpayer's property within any county of the state may appeal to the County Board of Equalization in the county where the property is located concerning the assessed value and present evidence. If the County Board of Equalization finds merit in the complaint, it shall increase the value of the property complained of to conform to its taxable value. A taxpayer who believes that his or her property was assessed at a higher value than another property identical in use and comparable in location may appeal the assessment to the County Board of Equalization. If the board finds that an inequity exists in the assessment of the value of the land or improvements or both, the board may add or to or deduct from the value of the appellant's land or improvements or both or to the property to which it is compared to equalize the assessment. A taxpayer who believes that the full cash value of his or her property is less than its taxable value computed for the current assessment year may appeal to the County Board of Equalization. If the board agrees, it may correct the land value or fix a percentage of obsolescence to be deducted from the taxable value of improvements or both to equalize the taxable and full cash value. A public officer cannot act on a matter that would reasonably be affected by the public officer's commitment in a private capacity without disclosing information in public to the chair and other members of this body. In addition, a public officer shall not vote upon or advocate the passage or failure of a matter with respect to which the independence of judgment of a reasonable person in the public officer's situation would be materially affected by the officer's acceptance of a gift or loan, the officer's significant pecuniary interest, or the officer's commitment in a private capacity to the interests of another person. Thank you. Item 6, 2023-2024, uh, Assessor Recommendations for Attachment 1. Any discussion on that? Those can be found on page 30 of your agenda. 
A motion to accept the assessor's recommendations. Please cast your votes. Motion passes. I motion to approve minutes from the February 7th, 17th, 22nd, 24, 2020, 20, pardon me, 2022 Board of Equalization meetings. Can I, do I, I don't think I need a second on that, do I? Can I, think I can I have a second? I'll second. I have a question. If I wasn't at all the meetings, can I still vote on that? It's okay. They, they were from the commercial board meetings, so not all of you were present, but some of you were present for each. No. You don't have to abstain. Motion passes. We have some notices of appearance. Yes, Chairman Farr, I'm gonna ask um, that item eight and item nine, um, because currently we have no uh, petitioners that have checked in. And so instead of uh, requiring that the folks that have checked in to wait on us, I'm gonna ask that if we can just go down to item um, number 10, 11 and 12, and then once we've heard all the petitioners that are present, we can come back to eight if that would be all right with the chair. Good with us. Uh, for procedural rules, a couple items. Please note we don't discuss property taxes in these hearings. Your net property taxes may or may not be affected by the outcome of your case. This hearing is recorded and part of the public record. It is difficult to transcribe the hearings with concurrent multiple voices. Please do not speak if another party has the floor. Procedural rules relative to the presenting appeals are as follows. When we call your place, please come up to the podium, state your name and address into the microphone for the record. Please speak clearly into the microphone. The assessor will briefly describe the property to the board. You will then present evidence for your case. The assessor staff will provide their evidence to support the assessor's opinion of taxable value. You may then respond to the assessor's case, but you are limited to the rebuttal of evidence presented by the assessor. Please keep comments limited specifically to your case. Please do not address the assessor staff. The board will ask questions of the petitioner or the assessor staff. The board will discuss the testimony and information provided and move forward with the decision. If you are unhappy with the board's decision, you have the right to appeal with the State Board of Equalization. The assessor's office also has that right to appeal our decision. Appeal forms are in the hallway outside the doors to the chamber. Do we have any general administration, administrative business? Yes, Chairman, we have a few more withdrawals, so we'd like to go ahead and identify those. On page 13, Case 533 has been withdrawn. And Case 536. Um, actually, they were combined with Case 533, so it's just Case 533. On page 30, Case 538 has been withdrawn. Page 30. Hold on, let's see if we can find what page that's on. We have the wrong page number. Page 3, we have an extra zero on there. Sorry about that. Page 3. All right, page. 
538. Oh, sorry. Page 15. Sorry about that. Bingo. We'll, we'll, we'll find it. It's, it's a game today to find it. <laughs> Let me double check myself. Yes, page 538. It is there. It's the only one. <laughs> All right, let's look at the next one and make sure it's there before I tell you. Page 20, 541. It's withdrawn. Page 16, 544. Page 17, 546. Page 22, 555 and 556. Page 19, 557. I'm sorry to have the board jump around, but unfortunately these were all withdrawn at different times, so. Page 23, 558. Page 24, 559. Page 25, 560. Page 26, 562. Page 28, 761. And 1038. And we're going to jump back to page three. Okay, 727. And then page 11. Case 563. 563 on page 11. Actually, there's one more written in page 29. Case 978. All of those have been withdrawn. I motion to accept stipulations for those. Actually, you don't need to take a motion on those. They're just withdrawn. There's They're nothing that withdrawn. we need to do with them. So you can go ahead and call um, the first case. And I believe the person that is here uh, begins on page 11, case 528. Okay, case uh, 528, D2801, Westwood, Inc. All tab. Good morning, sir. Please state your name and address for the record. <clears throat> My name is James English. Uh, our address is 3730 Cypress Creek Parkway. 
Houston, Texas, 77068. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Good morning, members of the board. Scott Anderley for the Clark County Assessor's Office. Uh, for the board's enjoyment for about the 20th time, the subject for case number 528 is the Treasurer's Gentleman's Club and Steakhouse located at 2801 Westwood Drive uh, in, in the corner of Westwood and Red Oak um, along the... I east side of I-15 between Sahara Avenue and Desert Inn Road in the central Las Vegas Valley. The subject is a two-story, uh, 22,899 square foot building constructed in 2003 and bills itself on its website as the most luxurious club and steakhouse in the world. Treasures Las Vegas is truly the most opulent and comfortable adult entertainment venue in Las Vegas. Sir, did you want to put on your case? Sure. Um, <clears throat> I've got 10 copies of my evidence. Who do I need to give that to? So who's coming right up to you? All right, our evidence is actually for two uh, accounts. It's actually for this Westwood and as well the uh, 2753 LLC, which is uh, pretty much just vacant land that is right next to it. I believe they use it for parking. You're um, referring to this handout? One more time? Yes. The, the handout that you okay, yeah, so yeah, on the We'll um, incorporate by reference when we get to that other case. Oh, okay. Okay. That's fine. Okay. Um, going to the second page. The second page here, we have uh, some CoStar uh, printouts of some sa or one sale on uh, 4636 Wind Road. That one sold in uh, 2021 for 3.5 million. It's about 12,240 square feet. Uh, this was the closest I could find to uh, really of a, of a gentleman's club around in, uh, in Las Vegas, but um, yeah, it sold for $3.5 million, about $285.95 a square foot. Uh, behind it, you'll just find some pictures, but that's for the other account. So that I'll get into when we get there. So this, this one at Wynn is the only one you're really presenting? That's the only evidence. one I'm really, the only one I could find on CoStar of uh, similar or type property. I couldn't find an exact uh, gentleman's club that actually sold recently. I haven't seen any sell recently either. Mr. Anderley. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, the club he's referencing is actually on our sales page on page 1141. 
I'll direct the board to page 1140 in our materials, our capitalization summary, um, where you can see that we've uh, uh, done an income approach to the evaluation that supports our value, uh, including the parking lot next door that he's made mention of in the next case. Um, I'll speak of some of the information on there a little later. On page 1141, uh, in your packet is a list of uh, night, uh, uh, nightclubs and gentlemen clubs that have sold over the years, including one of your other uh, cases to be heard after this, which is the old Jaguars Club slash Embassy Nightclub now on uh, Procyon Avenue. On this page, that I, one of the things I want to make mention of uh, and highlighted in yellow is the mean and median of the dollar per square foot values of these clubs over the years. You will see that they easily sell for over $300 a square foot throughout the years, no matter if it was the downturn years or not. And some of this information is older, but it is relevant because this is such a small market segment or sub-market segment. Um, the only one that has sold for less was last year, the former um, uh, library club over on Boulder Highway. It was an older property that has been a number of things over the years. It was not specifically built like the subject was to be a gentleman's club. I went in there once before when it was a country bar. Uh, so uh, the one thing about that also is it's away from the tourist corridor where most of the rest of these are uh, in the, the general area of the uh, South Las Vegas Boulevard Strip, not on it, but near it, um, in the areas designated to be, uh, have availability for this use. And again, with those, you'll see that, again, they sell for well over $300 a square foot. Um, the, you'll see information regarding all of these sales from pages 1142 to 1218. Uh, some of those are out of order. The 1215 through 1218 pages should have gone before the others. Uh, I'm going to read, uh, talk you through some of this information as a lot of this is going to be in the subsequent case coming up, so I can spend less time on that. Uh, you'll also see some current listings of larger restaurants and such from pages 1219 to 1226. You'll see some asking rates of 325 to 350 for the Gordon Biersch a large uh, restaurant over by the U Center. Um, and um, moving on, on page 1243 is a map of the club sales. On page 1244, you will see um, a sheet of bar tavern sales. And while they're not directly relatable to the subject, they are the next closest market segment. And the one important thing to, on this page, on page 1244, the average cap, cap rate these days for bar taverns is 5.5. During the downturn, the only stated cap rate for one of these clubs that's ever mentioned one um, was 10.29, but that was during the downturn years when all cap rates were higher. And that was very similar to bar tavern cap rates at that time. So again, that's why I'm referencing bar tavern sales that the cap rate for those is five and a half. I'm using a 7.5 on the subject just to allow for the uniqueness of the property. On my capitalization summary, rents as stated uh, are supported by information in the case. Um, going down, 
We have a land grid in there for um, page 1250, which is actually for the parking lot next door, which is the subject's parking lot. Easily the land value is supported. You'll see photos of the subject from uh, pages 1261 to 69, where you can see that this property is a very upscale club, and it's not like some of these old, older rinky-dink uh, properties that are also gentlemen's club. It is a premier club where the rest are eh, in between. Um, on 1270 through 72, you will see building permits for the subject where they uh, spent at least four and a half million dollars just on the shell of the building back when it was constructed. And our improvement value is still less than that all these years later. Um, and that doesn't even count some of the things like HVAC, plumbing, electrical, and so forth, which would probably add on top of that building cost. 1273 through 79 is the subject website where they have information about their club. And again, no matter which metric you want to look at, sales comparison, income, or um, construction cost, this property is easily supported by information in a case, and we therefore recommend for the 20th time no change in value. Sir? I have nothing further. Members of the board? You provided us one sale that the assessor also provided, and that's at 285 a foot. And they're assessing yours at 221 a foot. So I'm not sure why we're here. So I, I did it as a total, like uh, with both accounts together, which is this account plus the parking lot. And the total. Mr. What is it, Frederico, the total square foot would have come in at $329. So time out, time out. I, I stated in my opening comments if somebody has the floor, please let them finish okay. because we're trying to transcribe this. Please finish your statement. Yeah, no, uh, so when I did my analysis, I just used it as this account, which is the Gentleman's Club plus the land account, which the total came in at about $329.84 a square foot. That's including the parking lot as well. And, you know, the one sale coming in at $285 is obviously below that. That's how that came in. I didn't split it out between an individual account. But we have to, right? I mean, each case is separate. He can present any evidence he wants, but if he's talking about a different case, then we would address that when we look at that case. But if he wants to present materials for this case and he wants to present the same on both cases, he can do that. say based on the information provided that for this case the value is well supported and I would deny the applicant's request and accept the assessor's recommended value of five million seventy one thousand five hundred eighty three dollars that would be a motion motion's been heard please cast your votes
and that motion is uh, passed. You do have the right to appeal. The forms are outside the back. You're here for case 529 as well, D-3355, Procyon, LLC? Yes. Please state your name and address for the record. My name is James English. Address is 3730 Cypress Creek Parkway, Suite 200, Houston, Texas, 77068. Mr. Anderley. Chairman, um, yes. did Mr. Andrelay address case 532? Because I think we were on case 529. Just want to make sure we're talking about the same case. Yeah, I was doing them in order. 532 was next. Or were we supposed to? That's under a different LLC as well. Oh, that's not his, 529? This gentleman's is not 529? Oh, you called 532? I thought you had called 529. I'm I did sorry. call 529. This is the same gentleman. Yes, I, uh, Mr. Andrelay was introducing case 532, it sounded like. Not my fault this time. Um, okay, uh, for case 529, uh, the subject property is Embassy Nightclub, for the former Jaguars Gentlemen's Club, located at uh, 3355 Procyon Street, uh, which is on the southwest corner of Procyon and West Desert End Road intersection in the central Las Vegas Valley. Uh, the subject is a two-story club building of 24,000... 556 square feet was built in 2001, and there's also a 30, sorry, I can't see if that's 36 or 3,800 square foot uh, warehouse slash storage building behind the main building. Uh, the property was bought by the petitioners uh, in April of 2012 for $10.6 million. Mr. English? Yes, uh, I have some more information to pass out okay. to this account. He's got another handout. not the same information you already gave us? One more time? Isn't this the same property that you gave us sheets on for the prior case? Mm, no, it would have been a different one. The Are you talking about so for... Oh, you're saying the same, okay, the oh, same, same comp. comp. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes, okay. yes, same comp at 4636. Uh, this one we just did some adjustments. 
um, and it came in about $237.33 uh, for that for you know age and year or type of, um, what is it, for age and for um, building area. But uh, other than that, I have nothing further. It's the same. This is another you know, uh, type club. So I, other than that, I have nothing further. Thank you. Mr. Anderley? Uh, to be briefer on this case, uh, the information that we supplied is pretty much the same. Uh, our caps capitalization summary is on page 1299. Use similar information on there. Um, the, again, the subject was bought for $10.6 by the uh, petitioner. A uh, couple of the only other things are on page 1369 through 77, uh, there's a sheet in there. Uh, this was a short form deed of trust and assignment of rent. Uh, back when the current owner bought the property, he was at least insuring the building for $5 million back then. Um, subject sale deed is in the uh, information packet on page 1403 through 1410. Um, there's a land grid on page 1426. Uh, the land value for this one, uh, the zoning allowance on this is for EM, which is entertainment mixed use. That's the successor to the old CT zoning. Uh, which allows a variety of things. Um, so the land value on this one, uh, with that uh, planned land use, almost supports the total subject value just as a land only, as pointed out by former Chairman uh, Lager uh, when this was heard before. Um, our photos on page 1441 to 51. Uh, there's an uh, article from the RJ back from when the uh, building was constructed. You'll find this on page 1452 to 1454, where the former owner stated he spent $15 million to construct this property. Again, whatever metric you want to use supports our value, and we therefore again recommend no change. Mr. English? Nothing further. Members of the board? have to agree the land value is almost the entire value for that kind of property on DI like that with the flyover. Sorry, for which one? I'm sorry, the land oh, for, value. Oh, for the one that we're talking about right now? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's over $3 million less than what they paid for it in 2012, and that entire value is, is, I think, arguably close to land value. So I would recommend that we, um, based on what the assessor has presented, that um, that is correct, and we accept that value. Make that a motion. Make that, I'm making that a motion. I make it a motion that we accept that. Motion has been made. Please cast your votes. Did we get a second on that? Tio gave the second. Okay, Paul gave the second. Paul Chaffee. Please cast your votes.
sorry, I think the system's hung up a little. Oh, there it goes. And motion passes. Again, sir, you do have the right to appeal. Forms are outside the door. Now to case 532. Um, 532 and 531 are the same entity. Are we hearing those together or, or separate? Mr. Anderley? Uh, we'll be hearing them separately. Fi case 532 is actually the parking lot for treasures. Okay. Um, so it really goes with that property. So, Mr. English, case 532 is David 2753 LLC. D isn't David, sorry. Please state your name and address for the record. Right, so, <clears throat> so we're doing 531 or 532? 532 right is the way it was checked in. So 532 is the parking lot, Mr. Anderley? Parking lot, yes. The parking lot for right. treasures? Okay, so please state your name and address for the record. Yeah, my name is James English. Uh, my address is 3730 Cypress Creek Parkway, Suite 200, Houston, Texas, 77068. Mr. Anderley? Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, for case 532, uh, the subject is, uh, I'll reintroduce, uh, 3.24 acres of land located at 2751 Westwood Drive, which is the parking lot for the adjacent Treasures Gentlemen's Club in the central Las Vegas Valley, lies along the east side of I-15, just south of Sahara Avenue, and has miscellaneous parking lot improvements on it, which were built in 2003. Mr. English? Um, the only thing with this one, um, I was actually seeing if I could actually withdraw this, just this account. Sure. My, my petition for this account. Do we, we I don't have an issue with the uh, okay. with this land. If he's withdrawing it on the record, um, he needs to know that he cannot pursue that to the state. So as long as that's clear, you can accept his withdrawal. Is that acceptable, sir? Yes. Okay, so we're accepting 532 as a withdrawal. Nothing to vote on then, right? Nothing to vote on as long as you accept that withdrawal. Okay, next case is 531. D is in David, 2753 LLC. Mr. English, please state your name and address for the record. My name is James English, address 3730 Cypress Creek Parkway, Suite 200, um, Houston, Texas, 77068. Thank you. Good morning, Jaceline Yamashita for the Clark County Assessor's Office. Um, the subject property is a 88,486 square foot two-story office building located at 2753 Highland Drive, just south of Sahara. The building was constructed in 1962. We are recommending no changes to the total taxable value of $2,949,699. Thank you, Mr. English. Yes.
All right, so with, uh, with this account, this is a, you know, an office building. The, um, there used to be one tenant in there, but it is since no longer, they are no longer there, so there are no more tenants. Um, the second floor has actually been vandalized and uh, by vagrants. They have taken the copper wiring as well as the AC. They have um, caused over about $250,000 in uh, damage that the property owner is needing to get fixed. Now, I do not have pictures of the current damage. I haven't been able to make it over there, but I'm going there today, <laughs> which is besides the point. But um, there are substantial amount of issues. The improvements have gone from 494,000 last year to almost a million at 842,000. There's consistently a lot of issues. You can see from the pictures, there's leaks. Um, some of the tiling is missing. You know, this is just not a, a good property. There are no more tenants. And I don't really feel the value, especially on the improvements of the 842,000. It's just excessive. Uh, other than that, I have nothing further. Ms. Yamashita. Just to give you a little history about this property, um, this property was purchased back in 2001 um, by, the, by the appellant in poor condition. It, re it was reported at the time of the sale that the buyer, who is the owner now, was aware of the cost to renovate and rehab the property, and estimates were at the time, back in 2001, between a million to a million five to repair the damages that were already there. If you turn to page 1511, um, there's my cap summary. Um, while the exterior of the building and landscaping has been upkept, up the entire building is still in poor condition. Approximately 46% of the space, mainly in the entire second floor, is not usable due to the unfinished renovation projects. And apparently, this is the first I'm hearing uh, as far as vandalizing it um, on the second floor. Um, there is also significant deferred maintenance regarding the roof and AC. Um, he's saying that they vandalized the air conditioning, um, but um, over the last 10 years, they've never fixed it or never re repaired it or replaced it. Approximately 8,000, now I'm not sure if this is still correct, but in previous years, approximately 8,300 square feet of the first floor was being utilized as offices for the Treasurer's Gentleman Club. Um, you might want to ask the appellant if that's still true. Um, as far as the information he stated, um, being one tenant, um, the document that he presented um, has been presented over the last 10 years, the exact same thing with the exact same pictures. Um, nothing has been done. Um, going back to my cap summary, we completed an analysis based on market data for the subjects current submarket, a lease rate of 90 cents per square foot triple net was used with a market vacancy of 20%, 8% in expenses and a cap rate of 7.75. We arrived at a value, indicated value of 9,075,581. From that amount, we reduced, we made a reduction of 5,308,160 
based on a $60 square foot allowance for the renovations and cost to cure of the building. The indicated value after this reduction is $3,766,421. Um, I also, um, there weren't many sales as far as buildings in this type of condition. Um, most of the sales are over $100 a square foot and rentable. I did find a um, vacant building with a sale on March 4th of 2022, um, it was a 149,647 square foot building. Um, the buildings were built between 1972 and 1988 on 12.21 acres that was located at 4101 East Charleston. Um, the parcel numbers are 16106, 501006, and 008. Um, that sold for $7,800,000, which is $52 a square foot. Um, and that has since been demoed. The building was vacant at the time. Um, if you look at the land value only on that sale, um, it equates to approximately $14.66, um, although it is a lot larger and in, in an inferior location as a subject, and it doesn't include the cost for demo. Um, we did include some land sales for, the, um, for other vacant industrial parcels ranging from $22 and 25 cents to $49 and four cents. Um, if you look at our total taxable value, including the improvements, um, I'm thinking he's looking at the assessed land value when he was talking about in the improvement value. But if you take our total taxable value divided by the um, total square footage, um, even at the land value, it comes up to $18.76, which is supported by the total um, land sales. Um, and just on the building itself, our total recommended value or our taxable value is at $33 for 88,486 square feet. So based on that information, we are recommending no changes to the total taxable value. Mr. English. Just besides there's just so much to do and just recently, you know, with the vagrants taking the second floor wiring, AC, you know, there's still more and more and now there's continuing to be you know, more issues with this property so other than that i have nothing further what's the first floor being used for no no the second floor you're discussing oh, the, the first second floor, floor. I'm oh, yeah, yeah. About the, the, first. the first floor i know their main office is in houston i'm not actually for sure unless they use it for storage which is as well what they do for uh in uh in houston but uh i'm not i don't know if there's any occupants in that for treasures. Because in, in years past, it was always administrative offices. I, 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 I so. think I've, I've heard this building seven times, I think now. Um, but you're not sure what, what the status is of the first floor? I'm not. I'm actually going to be going there today, so I'll know for sure. Okay. Members of the board? So in the prior case that um, you agreed to withdraw the land value, I think there was around $24 a square foot. This is 1875. Um, even if we take into account um, some demolition costs, it's it's assessed way below that. So I, I just don't see where there's any room for coming down. As a matter of fact, it seems to be a little under assessed. So. Any other comments? Petra, do you want to make a motion? Um, based on what the assessor has presented, I make a motion that we accept the value. We have a second. 
I second it. Motion's been heard. Please cast your votes. And that motion passes, sir. You do have the right to appeal. Forms are outside the door. Case uh, 530 is uh, for D2765LLC. Sir, please state your name and address for the record. My name is James English. Uh, address is 3730 Cypress Creek Parkway, Houston, Texas, 77068. Thank you. Mr. Verhaean. Uh, good morning, members of the board. Tom Verhaean for the Clark County Assessor's Office. Uh, the subject property is located on a Highland Drive between uh, Sahara and Desert Inn. Um, it consists of a 4,000 square foot metal warehouse storage building that was constructed in 1963 and is in fair condition. Uh, the subject is situated on a 1.77 acre parcel, of which approximately 1.37 acres or 60,000 square feet is considered excess land. And the improvements are being utilized as a storage facility for the property owner's nearby business. And the assessor's office recommends to hold the current taxable value of 1,400,000 479. Mr. English. I don't really have anything to, uh, to testify on this account, but uh, I'm just going to let y'all make that decision. Okay, Mr. Rahan. All right, you can refer to page uh, 1471 of the master book for the capitalization summary. Uh, no information was provided by the petitioner, therefore current market data and published information was relied upon for this analysis. After reviewing comparable lease data, uh, along with published information, uh, a triple net market lease rate of 75 cents was concluded. A 5% vacancy rate was applied based on published information and a 10% triple net expense uh, ratio was deducted. Giving consideration to the condition, age, and location of the property. 6% uh, cap rate was selected, which gives an indicated value of $513,000 or $128 per square foot for the improvements and supporting land. Um, in addition, if you go to page 1477, we have a land grid for the excess land. Uh, the subject is located in an area that's primarily built out, and as a result, sales to the immediate area are limited. The site has frontage and access to both Highland Drive and Westwood Drive, uh, and it's surrounded by commercial, industrial, and adult uses. The comparable land sales range from $22.25 per square foot to $49 per square foot, um, which is well above our current roll value of $17.10 per square foot. So the $17.10 per square foot was added, uh, was applied to the excess or excess land value or square footage of 60,000 square feet. This equates to a value of $1,026,000. Uh, when the excess land is added back to the income value, it results in a total value of $1,539,000, um, which supports our current taxable value of $1,400,479. Um, so based on this, we just recommend to hold the current taxable value. Thank you, Mr. English. Nothing, nothing further. No comments? Members of the board? 
Well, based on the fact that the assessor has presented evidence and data to support their taxable market value and the Mr. English has presented nothing and no information and is not contesting it, I move that we support the assessor's recommendation of value. Motions were made. Do we have a second? A second. Motion's been heard. Please cast your votes. Motion passes. Mr. English, you do have the right to appeal. Forms are outside the door. Thank you. I think that's all we have. Yes, Chairman, that are, those were all the petitioners that have checked in today. Um, so if you don't mind, we'd like to return back to item number eight, discussion and possible action on notice of appearances. Please. All right, beginning on page um, 538 of the master book, um, we are gonna, we have to go through every single notice of appearance. We have about 72 of them, unfortunately, today to go through. Uh, 54 of them are very similar, so hopefully those will go through really quickly, but we will have to hear all of these um, and you take a vote on them because the notice of appearance, um, just to remind the board, um, has to do with jurisdiction. Um, the petitioner either filed late or didn't file with proper authorization or didn't fill out the appeal form appropriately. So these are the issues uh, surrounding all of the notice of appearances today. I'm going to go through each of them individually and show you the information that was submitted to them, that they submitted and the um, communication that we had with them so that you can make the best decision, okay? So 260 is the one we're gonna start with and that begins on page 538. And in this one, um, we had, we sent out an appeal form that was requested. Um, on page 539, you can see um, it is pre-populated with the information that we um, put on the forms when they're requested. It has the owner name, um, it has the parcel number, it tells us what fiscal year they're appealing for, it has a value, and then it has the second page. And none of the information, it was sent back to us and not one piece of the information was filled out. So it's an incomplete form. And that's the bulk of the argument on this one. We, they sent the form in with no information. Um, I do wanna note that, let me go to the page here. We had no information from them. So what we do have is we had the property record um, where we had the um, owner's e uh, address. We did have an email um, also from the person that had requested the form. We don't know if they were the owner or not. So on page 556, we did reach out. Um, we did send objection letters, um, letting them know that there was a problem with their filing on 556. Um, the letter that was sent out is showing on page 557. Um, and it just shows missing all the information um, on the form and missing the owner and petitioner signature. Um, and so we did try to notify them. This was sent out by email and um, based on the contact information that we did have. And I believe we sent this one by certified mail as well. And so based on this information, the recommendation um, of the assessor's office is that you don't take jurisdiction because we don't have a completed form. 
I motion that we deny jurisdiction on case 260. Please cast your vote. Do we need a second on these, Marianne, since they're administrative? I, I think it's best to just take a second on each and then you can take a vote. Okay, can I have a second? Second's been had, motion passes. Next case. Case 516 is the next one. Um, it begins on page 1001. You will find the appeal form on page 1002. Um, it was filled out by a Kimberly Horn and it was signed um, on 118. You can see the signature is on 118. They were signing as the managing member of the uh, LLC, I believe it is, um, or the ownership. But Kimberly Horn, um, the actual owner is Real Estate Managers LLC, Olson Gordon. Um, regardless of whether they're a managing member, we did not go that far, I think, to check that because the filing was on 118.23, 2023, which was a day late. The deadline for filing an appeal, and um, we've included the statutes in the information so that you have those to reference. So on page 1004, NRS 361.340 um, states, and it's highlighted in yellow there, every appeal to the County Board of Equalization must be filed no later than January 15th. If January 15th falls on a Saturday, Sunday, or legal holiday, the appeal must be filed on the next business day. For this year, um, the 15th was on a Sunday. Monday was a holiday, which was the 16th, and so the deadline was the 17th. And we do accept emails of the appeal forms all the way up to 11.59 um, p.m. on that day if they do email them to this. If they mail them um, and put them in the regular mail, as long as they're postmarked on that day, we will accept them. So we're gonna scroll down in the information and get to Um, you can see that we sent out an email um, letting them know that it was an untimely filing on page 119 or 1019 and 1020. And then you can see the letter that was sent back to us, um, the envelope that was sent back to us on page 1021 that shows the postmark is January 18th. So it, this is considered a late filing based on the statutes we are going to recommend that you would deny jurisdiction based on the late filing. Based on the information provided and testimony contained herein, I motion that we deny jurisdiction. Can I have a second? Second. Please cast your votes. Okay. That motion passed. Next case. Got a little ahead of myself. Um, the next several cases, 276, 277, 278, 298, 299, 300, and 303, uh, and 304, um, are all the same situation. Um, I'm gonna start with 276 and we'll show you that information and then I'll point out where we can find the similar information on each case because I believe all of these you could probably vote on together. So for case 276, we're going to start on page 559 where we have the appeal form. Again, when the appeal form is requested, we have it filled out with the information that um, is automatically auto-populated based on the information they've given us. They did check various boxes on the form, but when we get to the second page of the form, um, they're supposed to tell us who they are, and we have a scribbled signature 
and they're saying they're a trustee. Um, this is not under a trust at all. It's under an LLC. Um, we did look up the information to determine if we could even find the LLC on the Secretaries of State's website. We could not find it. Um, and we were not able to identify who signed this because under the print name of the owner or petitioner, they wrote Huntington LLC. Unfortunately, when this was requested, it was requested um, at one of our counters, um, and we don't know if the party that requested it was the owner or not, um, but when they gave their name for who they were, they did not give us a name. They gave us the name Huntington LLC, and that's what we had to put into our system. So we didn't even have a name of who was requesting the form. So that being said, if we scroll down, um, I'll get you to that page here. Okay, so we did try to reach out, and you can see on page 576, um, where we've also included the certified mailing that we sent to them, um, because we had no, uh, we did have an email um, that, that they did give us when they filed, so we did try to send it by email, but we also sent it by certified mail, and we said we need to have some other information regarding who the owner is that signed the petition. Um, that letter's on 576, actually the email on 576, and then the letter that was sent both by email and um, by certified mail is showing there on page 577. Um, and you can see the email there on page 579. There's the tracking number that shows that it had been delivered. When we typically send out objections, so if, this, if we could have identified that this truly was the owner that had signed the appeal, we would have allowed the appeal to go through. Um, the law states that we have five uh, days to, once we notify them, they have five days to resolve the objection by law. Um, we never heard from this petitioner at all. And so based on this information, we're recommending that you do not take jurisdiction on appeal 276, 277, 278, 298, 299, 300, 303 and 304. I would like to at least show you where those forms were so that you can actually see those in the record. So we're gonna go through those individually very quickly. On page 581 and 582, you can see the similar signature. Again, uh, this one had no title, um, but the name was Huntington LLC. On case 278, we're looking at page 606, similar situation, signature with no name of who actually signed that. Page 629, on page 298, with a similar situation, signature with no name of who actually signed the form. And each of these, the record does have the letters that we sent out on each of these cases, similar to what I testified to on the first one. Uh, page 299, um, page 652 shows the signature again with no name. Case 300, again, a signature with no name or title. I'm sorry, did I tell you the page number on that one? Uh, two, it's page 274 or sorry, 275, case 303, page 698, again, 
again, signature with no name. And lastly, case 304 on page 721, the signature with no name. And so based on this information, we are recommending um, that you do not take jurisdiction um, on these appeals. I do wanna reference one thing about the filing. Um, just so the board has that, I wanted to. I was trying to find that in here. I, I don't think I placed it in here, but just that um, the statutes do require that we do reach out and contact uh, the petitioner if we have any issues, um, and we they do have five days to resolve that based on that information. And again, we had we received nothing back from the petitioner at all. So again, recommending that you don't take jurisdiction. Based on the information provided and testimony contained herein, I motion that we deny uh, jurisdiction for the petitioner Huntington LLC on the aforementioned cases. Can I have a second? Please cast your votes. Motion passes. Okay, the next case is 726. And that can be found on page 350. It's in the second book, second uh, master book. It's the master book, but it's the second PDF of that. And on page 350, you will find the appeal form. The owner of the property here is Realty Associates Fund um, 12 Portfolio LP. Um, the petitioner filled out the information there for the contact information, and then we have on page 351 a William Parker signing in the owner area as an agent, and then they filled out the agent information. We do have this happen on occasion. They, they get confused on the forms, so we do try to get a little bit further clarification, but William Parker um, is not the owner. He is an agent working for Altus Group. And then we were sent this page, um, this authorization page, um, on page 352. It is a second page. It does not have a first page. Um, you can see that it, it was signed um, by a person that is supposedly the vice president. We don't have who their name is, but it was signed on February 3rd, 2022. Um, so, which was the last year. It was not this year. Um, so it, we, we have no front page of this form to even know what this goes with. And so we do not have a proper filing um, of the authorization. When you go to, down to page, we did search the Secretary of State's uh, website to just determine if William Parker was the owner. You will find that information on 368 and 369, and in this instance, the owner of the company loops back into the name of the owner LP on record. It just continues to loop. There's no other way we can search for any other managing members of this um, or partners in this partnership. On page 371, you can see that we did send out a letter on January 24th, um, letting them know that we did not have proper authorization and that they would be scheduled for a notice of appearance. 
Um, you can see the letter following on 372 and the email on 373. And that's our correspondence with them. If we go back up quickly, I'd just like to go over the statutes with the board to familiarize themselves. Um, with regards to the agents, I do want to let you know that this year I did reach out in advance to any agent that had filed an appeal in the past in our office. We sent out a email to them um, letting them know um, that they needed to file properly. We sent out, we attached an appeal form and the instructions and you will see those instructions on page make sure I give that to you. On page 362, it sh says instructions, Clark County Board of Equalization, agent authorization. And those are the instructions for how an agent should file. Along with that, we did give them their agent authorization form that they could have signed by the owner and gave that to them well in advance so they could get proper authorization for the hearing. Um, we're trying to be proactive to help the agents to file properly. Um, in addition, I have included the Nevada Revised Statutes on page 354, and I'm sorry to jump around here, um, but 361362 says appeal on behalf of an owner of the property, and we're just gonna go to the highlighted section number two. It says if a person files the appeal in a timely manner without written authorization required by subsection one, the person may provide that written authorization within 48 hours after the last day allowed for filing the appeal. So, um, Again, we have to have that authorization and many of the agents will complain um, that we have not told them about this, but I've done everything to tell them in advance to prepare for what they need to have the authorization on a timely basis. So uh, based on this, we're recommending that you do not accept jurisdiction on case 726. Based on the information provided and testimony contained herein, I make a motion that we deny jurisdiction over case 726. Can I have a second? Second's been applied. Please uh, cast your votes. Motion passes. Next, the next case is case 727. You will find the appeal form on page 375. Again, the owner here is PREHCS 1031 FDHT LLC, um, and there's also an et al. They have other ownerships, but PREHCS 1031 FRLLC. The person that filled this out are describing themselves as the agent in section C. And again, on page 376, William Parker, who is the agent signed in the owner section, this time signed in the agent section as well, um, could not find any connection between William Parker um, and the ownership, um, being that he works for Altus Group. That, that's typically, that's one of our agencies that do file appeals for other, on behalf of others. And so he is an agent similar to the last case. And no authorization was given to us at all on this um, property. If you go to page 375, we attempted to at least run it to see if uh, William Parker's name, I, I, it came out kind of odd, um, the research that was done on that, the print didn't come out very clear, but there was no connection between um, the owner 
of record and the Meningy members of this LLC and William Parker. And that information can be found on page, let's see here, uh, 392 through 396. We did send them a letter letting them know on January 19th, um, an email and a letter letting them know that they needed to have proper authorization and the deadline for that was January 19th of this year. That's 48 hours after the January 17th deadline for filing the appeal. And the final letter that was sent is on page 401. So based on this, um, we're recommending that you do not take jurisdiction. Based on the information provided in testimony contained here in a motion that we deny uh, jurisdiction over case 727. Can I have a second? Please cast your votes. Motion passes. This one is similar to the last one, um, case 728. Can The appeal form can be found on page 403. And on the second page, um, you'll see William Parker once again has signed on behalf of the owner, the owner being um, the same name as the previous um, appeal. And no letter of authorization was filed. The letters of us contacting them and letting them know that they were going to be scheduled for a notice of appearance are located on page 420 and 421, and based on no authorization being provided and it being required that it needed to be 48 hours after the deadline, we're recommending you denying jurisdiction. Based on the information provided in testimony contained herein, I motion that we deny jurisdiction over case 728. Can I have a second? Second. Please cast your votes. Motion passes. Okay, case 847 is the next one. Uh, the appeal form can be found on page 675. The owner of record on this one is um, HC2 North Durango Drive LLC. Um, Blake Neeland um, is signing, or is filling out the contact information as the agent. On page 676, you can see that Blake Neeland has signed the appeal form, again, working for Altus Group as an agent for the owner. And in this instance, no letter of authorization was provided. And next time I do this, I'm going to order the information better so we don't have to keep scrolling through. I apologize, I, I didn't, I was trying to get these submitted to the book quickly and I should have done them in a little bit different order for the board, so we'll get you there here. The letters that were sent are shown on page 691 the email that was sent and the letter following on page 693, um, letting them know that they would be scheduled for a notice of appearance. And based on this information, we're asking that you do not accept jurisdiction. Based on the information provided in testimony contained here in a motion that we uh, deny jurisdiction over case 847, can I have a second? Please cast your votes. Motion passes. Case 850 is very similar. You will find the appeal form on page 694. And again, um, we have Blake Nilon uh, filing um, with Altus Group on page 696. You can see Blake um, signed as the agent on the appeal form. 
No letter of authorization was provided on this one. Um, you can find, sorry, let me get there real quick. The letters uh, for where we notified them that they would be scheduled for a notice of appearance because we did not get proper authorization are showing on page 712 and 713. And based on this information, we're recommending you deny jurisdiction. Based on the information provided in testimony contained herein, I motion that we deny uh, jurisdiction over case 850. Can I have a second? Please cast your votes. Motion passes. Case 974 is the next case. You will find the appeal form. on page 1068. Um, Blake Nealon again uh, is the agent on this appeal form for Desert Parkway. Um, on page 1069, you'll see Blake um, Nealon is this person that signed the appeal form as agent with Altus Group. Um, we did not receive a letter of authorization on this um, until a later date, and that's why I've included, um, I've sent, I've, I've had uh, handed out to you because it did not make into the record, the email that was given to us um, on January 23rd, and you can see that it was for case 974 um, with the agent authorization attached as a PDF. If you go to page 1085, um, you can see we reached out, um, this appeal was filed uh, timely, and so we reached out to them as soon as we were able on the 18th, and did send them a letter um, letting them know that we had not received a letter of authorization with the appeal, and followed by 10, uh, we did give them a copy of the agent authorization that it was blank, and 1088 um, shows the email that was sent and then you can see on page 1089, oh, I did have it in there. I didn't think I had it in the record. It is in there. Um, the agent authorization was sent and it says one attachment, but you can see the date on there was January 23rd, 2023, which is too late to, for us to receive it. The authorization that they sent is shown on page 1091 and, let's see, and 10, uh, sorry, 1090 and 1091. It was signed, but you can see the date um, where they dated they signed it was for January 20th, 2023. The deadline for filing was January 19th. So it was an untimely filing for an authorization and based on this information, we're recommending you deny jurisdiction. Based on the information provided and testimony contained herein, I motion that we deny jurisdiction on case 974. Can I have a, a second, please? Seconds been made, please cast your votes. Motion passes. Okay, the next set of cases, uh, with the exception of one, um, are gonna be all very similar. And so I'm gonna have you vote on all of them except for 1094. Um, so I'm gonna call them out and then I will go over the issue uh, with the late filing on these. It's 1051, 1052, 
1053, 1054, 1055, 1056, 1057, 1059, 1060, 1061, 1062, 1065, 1066, 1067, 1068, 1069, 1070, 1071, 1072, 1073, 1074, 1075, 1076, 1077, 1078, 1079, 1080, 1081, 1082, 1083, 1084, 1085, 1086, 1087, 1088, 1089, 1090, 1091, 1092, 1093, 1095, 1096, 1097, 1098, 1100, 1101, All of these are going to be the same situation. Um, on, we're gonna start with case 1051. On page 1707, um, you can see the appeal form is for Rebel Land and Development LLC, accounting department, and it's a Christy Reddy, property tax consultant, who is filing. On page two, you can see Christy Reddy um, signed in both the agent section and in the owner section. However, this is a property tax consultant. They are not the owner. Um, you can see they did, when they signed it, they did file the appeal on time. And then they sent us the appeal form. You can see on page 1709, and this happened with all of these, um, we had a couple different emails, but they all came on the same day, um, Tuesday, January 17th, where they filed the appeal forms, and they sent them as attachments, and you can see the attachments there. Um, and it says, we will send authorizations separately. Please let me know if you need anything else. And then on January 23rd, you can see that we received another email, again, with all these attachments, and it says, good morning. I believe, and that's on page 1710. Good morning, I believe we sent the attached authorizations to the assessor's office, but wanted to send it out to you as well. Please let me know if you need anything additional. And you can see that that was on January 23rd, which would have been an untimely filing. So we reached out to them by phone and let them know, hey, we didn't receive these. Let us know where you sent them. Did you send them to another mailbox? Did you send them to another um, you know, appraiser in our office? Um, we searched all of our mailboxes that we have that are available to see if they sent it. And they did not tell us that they had sent it anywhere else. They indicated that they had mailed them possibly. Um, but we, did never, we never received anything by regular mail at all. Um, I'm not going to get into the validity of the actual agent authorizations because the issue at hand here is that they just did not file them timely. If they had filed them timely, then I would have gotten into the issues um, surrounding the agent authorization. But I just wanna point out that the one that is showing here, which is true of every single one that they sent on page 1711, the tax year is handwritten on the authorization. This is a Texas form, it's not our form. Um, we try to be pretty liberal uh, in actually accepting authorizations if they meet basic criteria. 
Um, but even handwriting the year on there, um, the, the NAC is clear that they have to identify the fiscal year and the, and the type of rule that they're filing for, and handwritten would not typically be acceptable. Um, on page, On page 1728, you can see that we sent out a letter to them uh, by email, you know, letting them know for all of the cases um, that they had filed an untimely authorization and the letter um, is attached on 1729, showing that we are letting them know they were gonna be scheduled for a notice of appearance. All of these that I've testified to today, this is just letting them know they would be scheduled for a notice of appearance. They also received a notice for this hearing. So th these are not the notices for the hearing. It's just letting them know that that was the next step and they did receive notices for the hearing as well. So based, all of these cases are the same. Um, the letter that I pointed out to you on case 1051 is the same on all of them. Um, they did file all of them late. January 19th would have been the day that they needed to have them to this. And so we're considering an untimely agent authorization and are asking that you deny jurisdiction. Question. Yes. <laughs> Just curious. I mean, this is a lot, and there's a, these are a lot of property owners' names that we recognize. Are, are these people just taking a shot? Are these legitimate customers and clients? If I, I mean, that's a lot of people to drop the ball on. I'm just curious about that. Yeah, it, this has been, and I'm not saying that this person may not have really, the, the owner may have wanted them to file on uh -huh. their behalf. I'm not saying that they didn't. But the problem is, is that we have had folks, and, and, and years ago, we actually, and I, I was one of the people that worked on them, when we had stacks and stacks and stacks of um, appeals that had been filed that were not valid, yeah. where um, agents from various states throughout the country, maybe it's a habit that they're used to doing, where they just file appeals, and we're just going to see what happens with them, and they, they had no valid reason for filing. I've actually had owners call us and say, I didn't file an appeal, right. who's filing an appeal, appeal on my behalf? So. To prevent that from happening, um, we have a whole verification process and we have a team of folks from our office that actually review every single case that, um, that's filed. And that's why I reached out to every agent that we have an email for and sent those emails in advance to try to help them so that we don't want to deny an owner their right to be able to be heard. Um, but they must file properly. So I'm and just curious, do the property owners are they notified that someone has filed on their behalf or? Yes, whenever we receive um, an e uh, so whenever we receive a case back, we send um, what we call a confirmation letter out to the contact of the person that filed the appeal, um, the agent, if they're, so sometimes an agent represents a tenant. So we would send out one to the tenant, we would send out one to the agent, and we send out one to our owner of record. So the owner of record does get confirmation okay. letters to know that an appeal was filed on their behalf. Um, the big thing is, is just making sure that they file properly. Right. Um, we had some other cases this year where we had two agents that filed on some of the same properties. Right. And one was valid and one wasn't. So it, if, if, it, if it wasn't an issue, we would not be here doing this, and I don't, our, this is not something that I enjoy doing. <laughs> this is not the favorite part of my job. Um, I guess I was just curious, I mean, yeah. is this someone just taking a shot or did somebody drop the ball on 70 some clients? And, I mean, think that they just didn't file properly and that's what ended up happening. And we have had that happen um, a few years ago. Um, I think uh, Mr. DeFrederico was actually here for that hearing where we had an 
agent that put everything into one box and sent it out and did not get it postmarked. They tried to drop it off at the post office at midnight and all of their appeals were invalid for that year because they did not file them on time. And so, you know, it's just, it's just the statutes are very clear. And so, again, we're trying to be proactive as an office to reach out, but, you know, I do get complaints that people will say, you know, you, I didn't know, how was I supposed to know? It's on our website, they can go on there, they can look at it, there's information on how to file an appeal, there's information on agents getting authorization, we have the agent authorization well, these forms. these are agents that are holding these them, are agents. themselves out as someone that knows how to do that. Yes, right. they should know how to do that. And they, some of them have done it for years in our state and some of them have not. And again, not trying to give anybody a hard time, just, no. I ha we have to follow the rules for everyone, um, unfortunately, and so we don't get to bend the rules for this person or that person. So that's what we're trying to do. We're just trying to follow the strict interpretation of the law, um, but doing everything we can to help them if they, if they file, if they wait till the deadline, they're putting themselves at risk. Right. If they file in plenty of time before the deadline, we will let them know. But you know, when we get all the flood of, of appeal forms on the 17th, and then we're supposed to review you know, 500 appeals, we only have so many staff to do this, and let them know that, hey, you didn't send it in with the authorization. If, if that doesn't happen till the 19th or 20th, that's not on the assessor's office, that's on them for not filing properly. Yeah. Well, thank you. I think it's important to kind of put that on record. Okay. That, you know, thank you for asking. Yeah, appreciate Tax it. appeals are highly profitable in Texas, which is where I'm guessing most of these companies are, are coming from. We do have a lot of filers from Texas, but we have, you know, from Arizona and, um, you know, over here in the, the southwestern region of our country. Great. Do we have a motion? You're so good at it. Go ahead. Based on the information provided and testimony contained herein, uh, I motion to deny jurisdiction over the uh, previously listed cases. Can I have a second? Second. Please cast your votes. Motion passes. I think we had one more. Uh, we actually have three more, but uh, 1094 is part of this group. Um, just wanted to hear that one separately. It's the same situation where they did not send us the authorization on time. However, I'm pulling this one out uh, for you to vote on separately. It's on page 2683. Again, it's case 1094. And you can see the owner is ACCC Investments LLC. Um, in, the, in the other group that you just voted on, there were different ownerships um, for some of them. Um, we do know that Rebel is leasing the, land, leasing the property, um, and I did not receive the leases on them, but I know that because I looked at an aerial and I could see that, I could see that it was visibly a gas station that Rebel was occupying. So we're, again, we're trying not to give them a hard time. If we can identify that, we do that, we allow that. So, but in this instance, this is a vacant, piece of land, it has not had any construction on it yet, and so there's no evidence that Rebel actually exists on this property. They may or may not have a lease. Um, most of it is the same situation, but I just wanted to put on the record that we could find no connection between Rebel Land, um, who Christy Reddy is claiming to represent um, under the agent authorization and the owner of record. So we've got two issues, not filed timely and, and no connection. Um, and I just wanted to point that out. So if you just vote on that one separately, we're asking that you deny jurisdiction. Based on the information provided in the testimony contained herein, I motion that the board does, uh, denies jurisdiction over case 1094. 
Can I have a second? Please cast your votes. Motion passes. Okay. The last two cases are a, a unique situation. Um, they have to do with an exemption appeal. And I'm gonna try to explain this as succinctly as I can and as clearly as I can. We, we're asking the board to deny jurisdiction. Um, we're not asking you to deny the exemption. And we've, and I know several of you have heard those kind of cases in the past. Um, the problem is, is in these instances, and this is, so we're gonna look at case 1250, and that begins on page 3040. The appeal form is on 3041. And you can see that this appeal is for this year. And what you're not going to see in the record um, is we, we went ahead and set this up because they, they have been given the exemption for the current year. Um, what they are wanting is the exemption for the prior year, but you're not even here to hear the application of the exemption. Um, you're here to hear that this is a notice of appearance because the time frame that they should have filed for that exemption was last year and the deadline for them filing that would have been January 15th of 2022. And so again, I don't wanna confuse the board on this at all. So I'm gonna read my notes here so that I can make sure I'm covering everything. Um, okay. Oh, you know what, forgive me. I, I am wrong, that is not the case. Those cases have been scheduled for the 14th. <laughs> I thought that that's where these, the, the, I thought that was the issue on these two. So disregard everything I just said. Strike that from the record. Yeah, that, that, is, not, that is not the situation. Um, on the 14th, I will be presenting those cases. So scratch that, I, I confused myself. I'm looking at my, I, I was working on both of these this weekend and I got it all messed up in my head. So 1250 and 1251 are similar. Um, they are a filing that was filed timely. We're gonna go back and look at that again. So let's start over. Case 1250. It begins on page, page 30, 40, 30, 41. Okay, so it's Mark and Linda Sanders Revocable Living Trust. And you can see on um, Page 3042, this, this particular appeal form was not signed, and the reason it wasn't is because on page 3043, if you look at the top of the form, it'll show appeal form 23916. Um, so this is another common thing that um, people will do from time to time. They will take one of our appeal forms. Our, we generate all our appeal forms from our system, and the reason we do that when they request is so we can track the number of appeal forms that are going out so that we can know how many are potentially gonna come back in and that helps us know how to set up the number of resources that we're gonna need to work those appeals. Um, without that, we would really struggle because as you all know, we have to have all of these cases um, handled by appraisers and heard and finalized by the end of February. And so we do track that. Um, and so this particular agent took a form that they had requested from us and they crossed out all the information and whited it out and filled it out with other information for another parcel. And so what we did was we sent them a new appeal form um, with the 
proper assigned form number, which is case 1250 for this one. So that's what you're seeing on case 3043, or page 4033 and 3044. It was signed by the agent. And then the agent did provide this authorization. The authorization was provided timely to us. However, there are some issues with this authorization. Um, and I'm gonna refer to the NAC uh, to, to talk further about that. The first thing is, is that the date on the authorization is February 18, 2021. It's two years old. Um, the authorization is not specific to the tax year. Um, and it does not identify the parcels uh, for which they are being allowed to appeal. And they are getting this authorization from Lazy Boy. Um, the owner of record is not Lazy Boy. The owner of record is Sanders, Mark, Linda, Revocable Trust. So most likely or there's a lease in play here. Um, and so just wanted to go over that information with you. And then if we go further down, I just wanna talk a little bit about um, what the NAC requires. And so, I'm gonna find this for you. If you go to page 3052, the Nevada Administrative Code that I've included actually begins on 3050, but if you go to 3052, it's 361.68962, and it says a written authorization from the owner of a property that authorizes a person to file an appeal with the state board on behalf of the owner of a property must identify the property, the fiscal year, and the type of assessment role to which the authorization applies. A person may not file an appeal with the state board on behalf of the owner of a property for any property, fiscal year, or type of assessment role that is not identified in the written authorization, meaning they have to have it, and this is to the state board. But the county board rules apply the same, and this uh, NAC that supports that is on page 3050. It's 361.6622, number three. And it says the provisions of NAC 361.682 to 361.753, inclusive that governs the practice and procedures in contested cases before the State Board of Equalization shall to the extent practicable, practicable, be deemed to apply to the practice and procedure in contested cases before the County Board of Equalization, except that a petition filed with a county board. So that's the only difference. So all the rules for filing to a state Board of Equalization have to apply for filing to a County Board of Equalization. And what we're looking for at a bare minimum are the things that it's asking for in section two of 361.6896, and that is identifying the property, the fiscal year, and the type of assessment role. And this authorization does not do any of that. And it's not timely um, because it's, it was filed timely, but the date that it was signed was 2021. So based on that information, we're asking that you do not accept jurisdiction. Based on the information provided in testimony contained herein, I motion that we deny jurisdiction over case 1250. Can I have a second? Second. Please cast your votes. Motion passes. Case 1251 is a similar situation. You'll find the appeal form on page 3066. 
showing case 1251, QHLZB and Nevada LLC. Um, I'm assuming that LZB might stand for Lazy Boy. Um, we did not do further research on that in this particular one. Again, the petitioner was the agent, Jeff Quas from Ernst & Young, and they, again, copied the form, and you can find that on 3068, where they crossed, uh, they didn't cross through the 917, but 917 was a different case that they filed. They just changed all the information on the case, and so we had to assign it a new case number, 1251. But he did sign the appeal form, and again, the same authorization for Lazy Boy with the same date. Um, again, no fiscal year, no identification of the property, um, and um, no identification in the tax rule. Well, they are saying they want to file the appeal for property tax assessments, but um, because of those missing components, we're asking you to deny jurisdiction based on the previous testimony that I prevented in case 12, presented in case 1250. Based on the information provided in testimony contained herein, I motion that uh, the board denies jurisdiction over case 1250. Can I have a second? Please cast your votes. Motion passes. Chairman Farr, I think we've finally got through all the notice of appearances. <laughs> so we'd like to move to item number 10, or I'm sorry, item nine. number nine, um, request to add real property improvement value to the secured role pursuant to NRS 361.769 for prior tax years not assessed. Great. Do you have a case number to start with? 129 on page 471. This is in the first master book, okay? And girls. You ready for me to begin? Okay. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Board members, Jamie Jacobs for Clark County Assessor's Department. This petition was filed under NRS 361.769 allows for the assessor's office to, if a property is escaping taxation or not on our rolls, whether it's the property itself or the structures, uh, this provision allows us to go back and put those structures on the roll. Typically we go uh, current plus three years. And in this case, it is a residential property located near Jones between Sahara and West Desert Inn. And if I had, could have you refer to page 475, this is our petition and the values. So typically on residential properties, we don't just pick up and, and go back years for like an, an addition or whatever, but this is a, li a little bit unique situation. Um, so the, that page represents the values that we're going from and adjusting them to, and that's in the taxable value on the far right. And then on page 476 is we send the, this petition certified and it was received according to the USPS website. And then on page 478 is our property record cards for those years. So this one, uh, the petitioner, well, I'm sorry, not the uh, owner of record uh, pulled a permit to add an addition for a couple bedrooms 
and basically this turned into a major rehab of existing home, front and rear covered patios that were converted into gross living area, dining room addition, casita, grotto, sports court, gate and fencing at street, all appear to be unpermitted per code enforcement. So they went through all this, these additions, went from roughly 4,000 square feet, now we're at 5,724 square feet. That includes 26, 36 square foot of additions, as well as all the aforementioned uh, site improvements with the, with the pool and the grotto and, and so on. And so be, because of the, obviously the petitioner, or not the petitioner, but the owner, um, felt the need to, to not pull permits on any of this stuff. We are also asking for the County Board of Equalization to, to go back and add these improvements for the prior three years, starting with, uh, like I said, on page 475 for the 2019-2020 tax year, the 2020-2021 tax year, the 21-22 tax year, we had already picked this up for the 22-23 supplemental and current, so we don't need to go, that's already on the roll. And they did not, they were noticed for the supplemental as well as this closed roll and they did not appeal. Anybody wanna make a motion? You're gonna stick it on me again. Based on the information provided and testimony contained herein, uh, I motion to add the assessed uh, improvement values to the records for case 129. Can I have a second? Second. Please cast your votes. Motion passes. Okay, the next case is paid, uh, excuse me, case 131. This begins on page 487. Again, Jamie Jacobs for Clark County Assessor's Department. Uh, this property is a, and again, we're appealing this under NRS 361.769. This is a restaurant uh, run by Egg, Egg Works. It's on the southwest corner of Farm and Tule Springs in the Northwest Valley. Um, and so we had sent out the certified letters to the petition or to the uh, owner of record. Those can be found on page 490 and 491. And so in this case, other than site improvements that were currently on the record, we are basically putting the entire building, it's a standalone restaurant that was escaping taxation. And as it states on page 491 for the 2021 tax year, the 21-22 tax year, and the 22-23 tax year that we're asking the board to put on. On page 492 is our certified letter that we sent uh, showing being delivered from the USPS website. The property record cards for those years begin on page 494. And a staff member did receive a call from the owner saying that they were okay with the values. Based on the information provided and testimony contained herein, I motion that we uh, accept the assessors um, uh, improvement values for the 2020-2021, 2021-2022, and 2022-2023 tax years. Can I have a second? Second. Please cast your votes. 
Motion passes. Um, Chairman Farr, on the first one for the escaping taxation, you just your motion was just to accept the values. Um, I was just wondering if maybe we could go back on case 129 and retake the vote on that and make sure you emphasize the three years that we're asking it to be added to the rule. Just waiting for vote cast to get updated. Okay, for case 129, I'm remaking the motion that uh, we accept the assessor's uh, improvement values for the 2019-2020, the 2020 and 2021, and finally the 2021 and 2022 tax years. Can I have a second? Second. Please cast your votes. That motion passes. Sorry, I did it better the second time than the first. Do we have any more? I believe that's all the cases, unless any of petitioners have shown up, you might just want to call. Anybody out there? Is anybody there? I'm sorry, that's a song. No, looks and like we're Mr. good. Mr. Chair and Madam Facilitator, I'm so sorry to interrupt. I am wondering if perhaps we should do the same on 131 because I was, I was having some issues with vote cast. Just, and, and if you think that's not appropriate, that's fine, but I just wanted to bring that to your attention. Uh, they did take the vote on all three years, but do you need them to redo it because something didn't go right on your side? I think that might be prudent if you all don't mind, and I'll bring up 131 because there was just a little bit of a glitch there. As soon as you're ready. Going back to case 131, I'm remaking the motion that we accept the assessor's improvement uh, value assessment for tax years 2020, 2021, 2021, 2022, and 2022, 2023. Can I have a second? Second. Please cast your votes. That motion passes. Okay, so we are done with, we have what, uh, any general administrative business? Um, the last thing we need to do uh, is to vote on the remaining cases that are on your agenda that have not been withdrawn, stipulated to, or that you have heard already today. I motion to accept the assessor's recommendations on any, on any cases where the petitioners did not attend this hearing. Those that have been stamped, stipulated, or withdrawn, please cast your votes. That motion passes. Uh, item 12, uh, possible actions on petitions for review of assessed valuation. We did that, that was the first thing we did today. We went skip uh, we past that. that. Okay. So you're ready for public comment. Thank you, microphone is open for any public comment. Seeing nobody, I will close the microphone. Is there any other business? Yes, just to let you know that we have left for the 13th 62 cases, that is a residential day. The next commercial day is the 14th. 
Um, there are still 126 cases remaining for that day. Um, the 23rd, we have 185, and the 27th, we have 140, total of 513 left that have not been withdrawn or stipulated to that we're going to hear. Great. Is the 28th canceled? Right now, we have not scheduled anything for the 28th. Um, the reason we have to leave that open is the 14th, we will be reviewing some additional notice of appearances. If for whatever reason the board chooses to take jurisdiction on any of those, we will need to schedule those for uh, possibly the 28th. And so we've left that open for those, for those reasons. Okay? Very good. Thank you. Thank you for your time. The meeting's adjourned. I'll just move it over to you next time.